0: Our scripture passage today is from Romans eight eighteen to 25 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved— now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is God's word.
1: Good morning. Uh, as Terry said, my name is Tony, and it's uh, my pleasure to be able to bring you the message this morning. And today, as we continue on our on our series on suffering, uh, I want you to think about the time in your life uh, when you faced the most suffering. Perhaps, perhaps a time in your life that was, was the hardest to go through. And obviously for some people this is uh, much worse than others. And as you think about how you felt during that time, I'm sure, I'm sure that you had a lot of mixed emotions. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm a little... that again. Can you hear me? Am I alright? Alright, we'll see if it stays on. Uh, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of mixed emotions. And I know my, for myself, when I'm, when I'm going through uh, tough times, um, in the hardest times of my life, I can remember feeling sad, obviously, hurt, frustrated, like when the microphone just doesn't stay on, and, and trapped. I don't know. I don't know. And so, so I don't know about you, but uh, when I've gone through the hardest times of my life, I just, I spent a good deal of my time trying to look for a way out, trying to, trying to fix the situation like I just tried. And, and just like that, uh, moving it around, the microphone around, just like that, none of my plans have ever really worked. And so I found that during those hard times, I've just had to, to pretty much just wait it through and groan. So now our passage today is about suffering, and it really gets to the heart of our series title, which is Safe to Suffer, because not only does Paul try to comfort us in our suffering, but he is encouraging us to suffer more, to choose suffering. See, in the verse right before today's passage, Paul says this, he says, quote, that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Christ provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, we're not just victims of our suffering, but as as Terry pointed out last week, we are to choose a dying life. One of the ways Drews likes to say this is he says, we are to live a life of, of downward mobility. And what that means is this, as Christians, we choose things that, inconvenience us, and perhaps even harm us in order that Christ may be glorified through us. And isn't that what Jesus did? Even by simply just leaving heaven and coming to earth, he was choosing a life of misery compared to what he enjoyed in heaven. And so there's this call to deny ourselves. We choose to to love people even though they may offend us and let us down. We choose to not take advantage of people in our business deals, even we could make a a little bit more money, because we'd rather glorify God than make that little bit extra. And perhaps the, the greatest picture of this is Moses. Listen to how the author of Hebrews describes him in chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. It says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And so here is what the passage is teaching us today, that we can feel safe in adding to the reproach of Christ to the general suffering that we already face living in a fallen world, Because Christ has given us something to hope for and someone to hope in. So first we're going to look at the nature of our groaning. So let's go back to the passage for today, starting in in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now what, um, Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So here in, in this passage, there are two ways to go through suffering. There is groaning that is hopeless, and then there is groaning that is hopefully waiting with patience. And here's the deal, we groan in our sufferings when they are thrust upon us, and we can't seem to find a way out. We just, we just sit down sometimes and groan. Uh, after our wedding, which wasn't a time of, of groaning, um, Amber and I went on our honeymoon to a small town in the mountains outside of Atlanta. And I don't know if you've ever been into one of these type of touristy areas, but each of the the little towns in the mountains have some sort of some sort of gimmick to try to get the tourists to come and visit them. So uh, one uh, town had a winery, so we went and we visited the winery, and, and one town had uh, some antiques, so we went to, to there. One town had a gold mine, so we went and you know, panned for gold. And one mine, uh, one town had what I can only describe as a maximum security. Bear prison now now i don 't want you to get the wrong idea. This was not a zoo. you know typically, in zoos they try to like replic- replicate the habitat of the of the animal, but but none of that was happening here. Uh, what would happen is you 'd go out on this platform and they had bears from all over the world, and they were grouped together based on what type of bear they are in these, in these concrete cells, and, and the only thing that they had in these cells were like something like a glorified kiddie pool for them. And you'd pay $2, and you'd get bear cookies, and you didn't eat them. You would throw them to the bears, and then that's how the bears got to eat. I mean, I'm sure they fed them other stuff too, but, you know, the cookies were there. So uh, I'm not a very bleeding, big, bleeding-heart animal guy, but, but even standing there looking at these bears, I had to feel, feel bad for them. Because I I didn't sit down and have an Oprah talk with the bears and get to their past. But what I imagine happened was this. That one day this bear is just running through the the mountains and is fishing in this beautiful mountain spring. Chasing deer because he's the king of the forest. Then one day he sees a human and he thinks, I'm going to eat you, human. And so... He gets up on his big, you know, hind legs and flashes his teeth, and and he roars, and then bang, the human shoots his tranquilizer gun, and the bear falls asleep, and he wakes up in his prison, and gone is a mountain stream replaced with a kiddie pool, and he's no longer the, the king of the forest. Instead, he has to wait for little kids and honeymooners to toss him cookies. And something in the bear has got to know that this isn't right. And yet he must feel, feel frustrated, useless, probably goes into a bear depression. And you see, sin has cast us into prison. Into a prison of suffering that is frustrating and oftentimes feels useless. See, we are those bears where we no longer do what we were engineered for. And not only us, but all of creation is locked in a frustrating situation where there is is groaning and we're longing to be free. Because there is in us a memory of when suffering and death wasn't something we actually faced. And so when we experience it, we know that there's something not right about the situation. When God created Adam from the dust, there was no death. and There was no suffering. He didn't worry about getting old. He didn't worry about being attacked by the animals as he was naming them. He didn't worry at all. Everything was perfect and easy. But then he chose to sin. And when he did, everything went terribly wrong. And the earth began to decay. The other day I was watching Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, which is, of course, the latest installment in the Indiana Jones series. And there's a scene where he's in this tomb with his son, who's named Mutt. And uh, in the tomb, there are these, these sacks. And so Indiana takes a knife, and he, he opens up one of the sacks. And inside the sack is a conquistador. But the conquistador, he looks fresh. He looks like he had just died. But then all of a sudden, he starts to decompose. And, and Mutt gets, gets surprised by this, and he, he's shocked. He says, Indiana, you know, what, what's happening and Indiana explains that he, when he died, he was put in this airtight sack. But when the air came in, it started, he started to decompose. You see, that's what happened when Adam sinned. He took a knife to the fabric of the universe, and he let the air of sin in. And we've all started to decay. And now everything bad that occurs happens because of sin. But let's be careful. It's, it's not always a result of of your particular sin. Although sometimes we face the consequences of that. But it is always the result of Adam's sin. So a few weeks ago a tornado came and ripped through the town. And that was part of the decay of sin. And when a person gets diagnosed with some awful disease. That's, that's part of the decay of sin. Children have to go to bed hungry because they can't afford food. That's all part of this decay of sin and so we live in this world that is imprisoned to the the futile decay of sin And, and our suffering is just right in front of our face and our natural response is to try everything we can to avoid our suffering and to just make it stop and we try to decorate our prison cells to make them you know nicer and more comfortable but that doesn't last not only because it is impossible to avoid suffering in this fallen world, but also because God calls us as Christians to live a dying life. But it goes against our natural instincts, and it's painful, and it almost seems offensive that Christ would call us to to two scoops of suffering, where we not only suffer generally because of the fallen world, but also because we're trying to live the Christian life. And left there by itself, we would be in a bad situation. It would almost be cruel if we were left there. But we don't get left there. God doesn't just leave us in the bare prison. We can trust God in our groaning, and we can be hopeful and patient and choose even more suffering because God gives us both something to hope for and someone to hope in. So as we face the, the hopelessness of suffering, whether it is from the, living the Christian life or just from the fallen world generally, when we are starting to feel trapped, we, we need to remember something. That while we are like bears trapped in a prison, one day, one day we will be free. And that's the something that God gives us to hope for. Right now, though, there's, there's probably no greater humiliation to man than that we all face Death. And two years ago, both of my mother grandmothers passed away, and so uh, I had to come up with a way to explain this to my girls because they both uh, they all knew both my grandmothers, and we were going to the funeral, so they wanted to know what was going on. So, so I explained to them, you know, generally that we live, you know, because of sin, people die, but that if you trust Christ, you, you get to go to heaven, and that one day Christ would return, and he'd make everything right. But it was kind of a, a downer conversation about death, and it was their bedtime, and that's never a good time for little kids to be thinking about death. So, so I wanted to give them something uh, hopeful to think about that they could relate to. So I took Hannah's stuffed polar bear, and she was about four at the time, and I asked her, I said, I said, could you sleep and cuddle with a real polar bear? And the girls, they just kind of laughed. And they said, no, no, of course not. And I said, I said why not? I said, because he would eat you. A- and that's true. In case you guys don't ever watch the Discovery Channel, don't go cuddling up to a polar bear because he will eat you. And drink a Coca-Cola because <laughs> polar bears like to live it up like that. So I said, okay, right now you sleep with a stuffed polar bear because a real polar bear would eat you. But when Christ comes back and makes everything perfect, you'll be able to cuddle up to a real polar bear. And you know, the girls, their eyes got big, and they got real excited, and they started talking about all the amazing different possibilities that were going to happen when Jesus returns. And see, that's something that we should be excited about as well. Because I'm not just making this stuff up. Listen to to Isaiah 11, starting in verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on an adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the, glory, of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So you see, Adam's sin caused polar bears to eat humans, but when sin is gone, we won't have to fear that anymore. And see, this is the glory that Paul is talking about in verse 18 when he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to to the without well, sorry with the glory that is to be revealed to us see this is the end of corruption it 's really going to happen someday. Hannah will get to cuddle a polar bear, and that should give us something to hope for, not just because you want to cuddle a polar bear too you know i don 't know, but when we are faced with the trap of suffering, we need to be reminded that there is a greater, more permanent reality. That the joy of that life will be so much greater than our present suffering that it's not even worth comparing the two. Do you feel the weight of that? See, we should take time regularly to dream about the future realities of the return of Christ. And we should start longing for it. We should think of a time when our tears will end. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a time when you don't have to wear a seatbelt because you're not worried about accidents? Could you imagine a time when you don't have to worry about what other people think about you because there'll be no more sinful judgmentalism? I mean, there'll be no more body image issues. There'll be no more hair loss. And all things will be perfect. But it's not just that bad things will go away, but even pleasant things will be enhanced. So a flower that smells beautiful is still touched and broken by sin. And as it says in verse 20, it's still subjected to futility. Or in verse 21, that flower is still in bondage to corruption. So when Christ restores all things, the flowers will smell even better. The color of the sky will be even crisper. And I can't even imagine what chocolate is going to taste like. Because, of course, there will be chocolate in heaven. And even more than all of that, even greater than all of that, we will get access, unfettered access, to the single most amazing, most incomprehensible being, and that we will dwell with the Lord. The sun will not need to shine, because Christ will be our light. And can you imagine what it will be like when we just stand there and we see God in His glory and perfection and we realize that this perfect, amazing being came and died for a dirty sinner like me? how, How ridiculously amazing will that be? How could we not love Him more fully then? How could we stop from throwing our crowns at His feet? And as we're surrounded by this perfection of the restored creation and the full weight of grace fills us up, and as we worship God, we won't be thinking about the hard times we have now. The bad times now won't compare. So we should train ourselves to dream about that reality because some of you are facing pretty serious suffering you know, when, when Paul was talking about this suffering, he's not talking about lightweight stuff. You know, Paul's not whining because Starbucks ran out of soy milk and he had to drink fat-free instead. He faced prison, poisonous snakes, beatings, sickness. And he looks at all those things and he says, it's not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. The glory is going to be so much Better, And I hope you are captured by that same vision. I hope you develop a thirst for his return. And even though it may seem silly, I hope you talk to your kids and your spouse and to your friends about the amazing reality that's going to be. And I hope that when you're groaning in pain, you remember that there is a glory coming that is, that is so great doesn't even compare to your sufferings now. But this just isn't pie in the sky wishful thinking. It's not just corny, fairy tale hope. This hope is rooted in a person that we can hope in. Let's look back at verse 20. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will, set, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So, I want to raise this point again. Even nature is subject to the groaning and futility of this world of sin. Even the trees and the rocks are just bears in prison. And it seems like odd personification to talk about the emotions of the natural world. But this isn't the only time we see it. Look at the passage in your worship folder in Luke 19. And here what's happening is Jesus is entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. and Starting in verse 36... I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So picture this. Jesus is coming into the city, and the stones are trembling with delight. The reality of what, it, what Christ is about to accomplish is so profound that the stones have joy. Nature could not be quiet. His glory was that great. Look, look at Isaiah 55. Verse 12, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Do you see this? The reality of God's salvation is so amazing that as we go to proclaim it to the world, the mountains will sing and the trees will clap. Because they know that their restoration will come when Christ returns. Look at verse 19 of our main text. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And that phrase, revealing of the sons of God, is tied to what we're supposed to be longing for in verse 23 when it says, that we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, those are the same events. When Christ returns and gives us a new body, and makes all things new. Because creation's joy in Christ's first coming was because it understood that it was the work of Christ's first coming that makes his second coming so joyful. And we should think about this as well because Christ's first coming was such good news because we were living under such bad news. The bad news was this, that we are sinners who are under God's wrath. Our sins are so bad that we deserve death. And his coming hits home the reality that just like we can't escape our sufferings, we can't escape our sins And then as we were sinking without a lifeboat in our sins, Christ does the unexpected and takes on the punishment for our sins, absorbs God's anger so that that now there is a life raft, that we can turn from our sins, beg God's forgiveness, and he will change us and wipe away our guilt and make us new. But he's not just making us new, but all of creation. He will come back and make all things new. And on that day, all suffering will end. All trouble will end. He will let us out of the prison of brokenness of this world and open to us a new and permanent reality with cuddly polar bears and extreme chocolate. And more than all that, with Christ. And so the groaning of creation will end or has ended and will be is replaced with hope and patience. Hope in Christ, hope in his return. And as the passage says, when we have hope, we can endure our sufferings with patience. So today, if you're suffering, if you're groaning under the weight of your troubles, remember that there's A coming glory that is way beyond everything that we could imagine. Take hope in that. If you're afraid to make certain godly choices because you don't want to have to put up with the suffering that will come as a result of that, remember, there is a greater glory coming. We have something to hope for because of Christ whom we can hope in. And as we keep our minds focused on that future reality, we can endure our present sufferings with patience and even with joy. But of course, this hope is not for everyone. The only way that we can have hope in Christ is if we have turned our lives over to him. So have you begged his forgiveness and forsaken your own life? If you haven't, I would encourage you to do so today because... Because then an amazing thing will happen. God will make you new. And he'll give you the Holy Spirit to guide you and to comfort you. And and once you've decided to, to throw your lot in with Christ, you can be assured of the greater things he offers to you, both in heaven and in himself. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the amazing reality that you have prepared great things for us. We pray that as we go through uh, this week, that we would think about all the amazing things that's going to happen when you return. We pray that as we think about that, that we would love you more, and that we would get more excited about your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And as we go today, uh, thank you, Tony. Our, our hope is in Christ and we go with the promise that he is with us. So this is the benediction uh, for you today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace both now and forevermore. Go in his peace. Amen. Amen.